Section 5 of The Lady of the Barge. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Leslie Langston. The Lady of the Barge by W. W. Jacobs. Cupboard Love. In the comfortable living room at Neggett's Farm, half parlor and half kitchen, three people sat at tea in the waning light of a November afternoon. Conversation, which had been brisk, had languished somewhat, owing to Mrs. Neggett glancing at frequent intervals toward the door, behind which she was convinced the servant was listening, and checking the finest periods and the most startling suggestions with a warning, Shh! Go on, uncle she said after one of these interruptions i forget where i was said mr martin bodfish shortly under our bed mr neggett reminded him yes watching said mrs neggett eagerly it was an odd place for an ex-policeman especially as a small legacy added to his pension had considerably improved his social position but mr bodfish had himself suggested it in the professional hope that the person who had taken mrs neggett's gold brooch might try for further loot he had indeed suggested baiting the dressing-table with the farmer's watch an idea which mr neggett had promptly vetoed i can't help thinking that mrs pottle knows something about it said mrs neggett with an indignant glance at her husband mrs pottle said the farmer rising slowly and taking a seat on the oak settle built in the fireplace has been away from the village for near a fortnight i didn't say she took it snapped his wife i believe i said she knows something about it and so i do she's a horrid woman look at the way she encouraged her girl louis to run after that young traveller from smithson's the whole fact of the matter is it isn't your brooch so you don't care i said began mr neggett i know what you said retorted his wife sharply and i wish you'd be quiet and not interrupt uncle here's my uncle been in the police twenty-five years and you won't let him put in a word edgeways my way of looking at it said the ex-policeman slowly is different to that of the law my idea is and always has been that everybody is guilty until they've proved their innocence it's a wonderful thing to me said mr neggett in a low voice to his pipe as they should come to a house with a retired policeman living in it looks to me like somebody that ain't got much respect for the police the ex-policeman got up from the table and taking a seat on the settle opposite the speaker slowly filled a long clay and took a spill from the fireplace his pipe lit he turned to his niece and slowly bade her go over the account of her loss once more i missed it this morning said mrs neggett rapidly at ten minutes past twelve o'clock by the clock and half past five by my watch which wants looking to i'd just put the batch of bread into the oven and gone upstairs and opened the box that stands on my drawers to get a lozenge and i missed the brooch do you always keep it in that box asked the ex-policeman slowly always replied his niece i at once came downstairs and told emma that the brooch had been stolen i said that i named no names and i didn't wish to think bad of anybody and that if i found the brooch back in the box when i went upstairs again i should forgive whoever took it and what did emma say inquired mr bodfish emma said a lot of things replied mrs neggett angrily 
I'm sure by the lot she had to say you'd have thought she was the missus and me the servant. I gave her a month's notice at once, and she went straight upstairs and sat on her box and cried. Sat on her box, repeated the ex-constable impressively. Oh, that's what I thought, said his niece. But it wasn't, because I got her off at last and searched it through and through. I never saw anything like her clothes in all my life. There was hardly a button or tape on. And as for her stockings, she don't get much time, said Mr. Nugget slowly. That's right, I thought you'd speak up for her, cried his wife shrilly. Look here, began Mr. Nugget, laying his pipe on the seat by his side and rising slowly. Keep to the case in hand, said the ex-constable, waving him back to his seat again. Now, Lizzie, I searched her box through and through, said his niece, but it wasn't there. Then I came down again and had a rare good cry all to myself. That's the best way for you to have it remarked Mr. Neggett feelingly. Mrs. Neggett's uncle instinctively motioned his niece to silence and, holding his chin in his hand, scowled frightfully in the intensity of thought. "'See a clue?' inquired Mr. Neggett affably. "'You ought to be ashamed of yourself, George,' his wife said angrily, speaking to uncle when he's looking like that. Mr. Bodfish said nothing. "'It is doubtful whether he even heard these remarks.' but he drew a huge notebook from his pocket and, after vainly trying to point his pencil by suction, took a knife from the table and hastily sharpened it. "'Was the brooch there last night?' he inquired. "'It were,' said Mr. Neggett promptly. "'Lizzie made me get up just as the old clock were striking twelve to get her a lozenge. "'It seems pretty certain that the brooch went missing since then,' mused Mr. Bodfish. "'It would seem like it to a plain man.' said Mr. Neggett guardedly. I should like to see the box, said Mr. Bodfish. Mrs. Neggett went up and fetched it and stood eyeing him eagerly as he raised the lid and inspected the contents. It contained only a few lozenges and some bone studs. Mr. Neggett helped himself to a lozenge and, going back to his seat, breathed peppermint. Properly speaking, that ought not to have been touched said the ex-constable, regarding him with some severity. "'Eh!' said the startled farmer, putting his finger to his lips. "'Never mind,' said the other, shaking his head. "'It's too late now.' "'He doesn't care a bit,' said Mrs. Neggett, somewhat sadly. "'He used to keep buttons in that box with the lozenges until one night he gave me one by mistake. "'Yes, you may laugh. I'm glad you can laugh.' Mr. Neggett, feeling that his mirth was certainly ill-timed, shook for some time in a noble effort to control himself, and despairing at length, went into the back place to recover. Sounds of blows indicative of Emma slapping him on the back did not add to Mrs. Neggett's serenity. "'The point is,' said the ex-constable, "'could anybody have come into your room while you was asleep and taken it?' "'No.' said Mrs. Neggett decisively. I'm a very poor sleeper, and I'd have woke at once. But if a flock of elephants was to come in the room, they wouldn't wake George. He'd sleep through anything. Except her feeling under my pillar for her handkerchief, corroborated Mr. Neggett, returning to the sitting room. Mr. Bodfish waved them to silence, and again gave way to deep thought. Three times he took up his pencil, and, laying it down again, sat and drummed on the table with his fingers. Then he arose 
and with bent head walked slowly round and round the room until he stumbled over a stool nobody came to the house this morning i suppose he said at length resuming his seat only mrs driver said his niece what time did she come inquired mr bodfish here look here interposed mr negget i've known mrs driver thirty year most what time did she come repeated the ex-constable pitilessly his niece shook her head it might have been eleven and again it might have been earlier she replied i was out when she came out almost shouted the other mrs negget nodded she was sitting in here when i came back her uncle looked up and glanced at the door behind which a small staircase led to the room above what was to prevent mrs driver going up there while you were away he demanded i shouldn't like to think that of mrs driver said his niece shaking her head but then in these days one never knows what might happen never i've given up thinking about it however when i came back mrs driver was here sitting in that very chair you are sitting in now mr bodfish pursed his lips and made another note then he took a spill from the fireplace and lighting a candle went slowly and carefully up the stairs he found nothing on them but two caked rims of mud and being too busy to notice mr negget's frantic signalling called his niece's attention to them what do you think of that he demanded triumphantly somebody's been up there said his niece it isn't emma because she hasn't been outside all day and it can't be george because he promised me faithful he'd never go up there in his dirty boots mr negget coughed and approaching the stairs gazed with the eye of a stranger at the relics as mr bodfish hotly rebuked a suggestion of his nieces to sweep them up seems to me said the conscience-stricken mr negget feebly as they're rather large for a woman mud-cakes said mr bodfish with his most professional manner a small boot would pick up a lot this weather so it would said mr negget and with a brazen effrontery not only met his wife's eye without quailing but actually glanced down at her boots mr bodfish came back to his chair and ruminated then he looked up and spoke it was missed this morning at ten minutes past twelve he said slowly it was there last night at eleven o'clock you came in and found mrs driver sitting in that chair no the one you're in interrupted his niece it don't signify said her uncle nobody else has been near the place and emma's box has been searched thoroughly searched testified mrs negget now the point is what did mrs driver come for this morning resumed the ex-constable did she come he broke off and eyed with dignified surprise a fine piece of wireless telegraphy between husband and wife it appeared that mr negget sent off a humorous message with his left eye the right being for some reason closed to which mrs negget replied with a series of frowns and staccato shakes of the head which her husband found easily translatable under the austere stare of mr bodfish their faces at once regained their wonted calm and the ex-constable in a somewhat offended manner resumed his inquiries mrs driver has been here a good bit lately he remarked slowly mr negget's eyes watered and his mouth worked piteously 
If you can't behave yourself, George, began his wife fiercely. What is the matter? demanded Mr. Bodfish. I'm not aware that I've said anything to be laughed at. No more you have, uncle, retorted his niece. Only George is such a stupid. He's got an idea in his silly head that Mrs. Driver, but it's all nonsense, of course. I've merely got a bit of an idea that it's a wedding ring, not a brooch, Mrs. Driver is after, said the farmer to the perplexed constable. Mr. Bodfish looked from one to the other. But you always keep yours on, Lizzie, don't you? he asked. Yes, of course, replied his niece hurriedly. But George has always got such strange ideas. Don't take no notice of him. Her uncle sat back in his chair, his face still wrinkled perplexedly. Then the wrinkles vanished suddenly, chased away by a huge glow, and he rose wrathfully and towered over the matchmaking Mr. Neggett. How dare you! he gasped. Mr. Neggett made no reply, but in a cowardly fashion jerked his thumb toward his wife. Oh, George, how can you say so? said the latter. I should never have thought of it by myself, said the farmer, but I think they'd make a very nice couple, and I'm sure Mrs. Driver thinks so. The ex-constable sat down in wrathful confusion, and taking up his notebook again, watched over the top of it the silent charges and counter-charges of his niece and her husband. If I put my finger on the culprit, he asked at length, turning to his niece, what do you wish done to her? Mrs. Neggett regarded him with an expression which contained all the Christian virtues rolled into one. Nothing, she said softly. I only want my brooch back. The ex-constable shook his head at this leniency. Well, do as you please, he said slowly. In the first place, I want you to ask Mrs. Driver here to tea tomorrow. Oh, I don't mind Neggett's ridiculous ideas. Pity he hasn't got something better to think of. If she's guilty, I'll soon find it out. I'll play with her like a cat with a mouse. I'll make her convict herself. Look here, said Mr. Neggett with sudden vigor. I won't have it. I won't have no woman asked here to tea to be got like that. There's only my friends comes here to tea, and if any friend stole anything of mine, I'd be one of the first to hush it up. If they were all like you, George, his wife said angrily, where would the law be? Or the police, demanded Mr. Bodfish, staring at him. I won't have it, repeated the farmer loudly. I'm the law here, and I'm the police here. That little tiny bit of dirt was off my boots, I dare say. I don't care if it was. Very good, said Mr. Bodfish, turning to his indignant niece. If he likes to look at it that way, there's nothing more to be said. I only wanted to get your brooch back for you, that's all. But if he's against it... I'm against your asking Mrs. Driver here to my house to be got at, said the farmer. Of course, if you can find out who took the brooch and get it back anyway, that's another matter. Mr. Bodfish leaned over the table toward his niece. If I get an opportunity, I'll search her cottage, he said in a low voice. Strictly speaking, it ain't quite a legal thing to do, of course, but... Many of the finest pieces of detective work have been done by breaking the law. If she's a kleptomaniac, it's very likely lying about somewhere in the house. He eyed Mr. Neggett closely, as though half expecting another outburst, but none being forthcoming, sat back in his chair again and smoked in silence, while Mrs. Neggett, with a carpet brush which almost spoke, swept the pieces of dried mud from the stairs. 
Mr. Neggett was the last to go to bed that night, and, finishing his pipe over the dying fire, sat for some time in deep thought. He had from the first raised objections to the presence of Mr. Bodfish at the farm, but family affection, coupled with an idea of testamentary benefits, had so wrought with his wife that he had allowed her to have her own way. Now he half fancied that he saw a chance of getting rid of him. If he could only enable the widow to catch him searching her house, it was highly probable that the ex-constable would find the village somewhat too hot to hold him. He gave his right leg a congratulatory slap as he thought of it, and knocking the ashes from his pipe, went slowly up to bed. He was so amiable the next morning that Mr. Bodfish, who was trying to explain to Mrs. Neggett the difference between theft and kleptomania, spoke before him freely. The ex-constable defined kleptomania as a sort of amiable weakness found chiefly among the upper circles, and cited the case of a lady of title whose love of diamonds, combined with great hospitality, was a source of much embarrassment to her guests. For the whole of that day, Mr. Bodfish hung about in the neighborhood of the widow's cottage, but in vain, and it would be hard to say whether he or Mr. Neggett, who had been discreetly shadowing him, felt the disappointment most. On the day following, however, the ex-constable from a distant hedge saw a friend of the widow's enter the cottage, and a little later both ladies emerged and walked up the road. He watched them turn the corner and then, with a cautious glance round, which failed, however, to discover Mr. Neggett, the ex-constable strolled casually in the direction of the cottage and, approaching it from the rear, turned the handle of the door and slipped in. He searched the parlor hastily and then, after a glance from the window, ventured upstairs, and he was in the thick of his self-imposed task when his graceless nephew by marriage, who had met Mrs. Driver and referred pathetically to a raging thirst which he had hoped to have quenched with some of her home-brewed, brought the ladies hastily back again. "'I'll go round the back way,' said the wily Neggett as they approached the cottage. "'I just want to have a look at that pig of yours.' He reached the back door at the same time as Mr. Bodfish, and, placing his legs apart, held it firmly against the frantic efforts of the ex-constable. The struggle ceased suddenly, and the door opened easily just as Mrs. Driver and her friend appeared in the front room, and the farmer, with a keen glance at the door of the larder, which had just closed, took a chair while his hostess drew a glass of beer from the barrel in the kitchen. Mr. Neggett drank gratefully and praised the brew. From beer the conversation turned naturally to the police, and from the police to the listening Mr. Bodfish, who was economizing space by sitting on the breadpan and trembling with agitation. "'He's a lonely man,' said Neggett, shaking his head and glancing from the corner of his eye at the door of the larder. In his wildest dreams he had not imagined so choice a position, and he resolved to give full play to an idea which suddenly occurred to him. "'I dare say,' said Mrs. Driver carelessly, conscious that her friend was watching her. "'And the heart of a little child,' said Neggett. "'You wouldn't believe how simple he is.' Mrs. Clowes said that it did him credit, but, speaking for herself, she hadn't noticed it. "'He was talking about you night before last,' said Neggett, turning to his hostess. "'Not that that's anything fresh. He always is talking about you nowadays.' The widow coughed confusedly and told him not to be foolish. "'Ask my wife,' said the farmer impressively. "'They were talking about you for hours. "'He's a very shy man, is my wife's uncle. 
but you should see his face change when your name's mentioned. As a matter of fact, Mr. Bodfish's face was at that very moment taking on a deeper shade of crimson. Everything you do seems to interest him, continued the farmer, disregarding Mrs. Driver's manifest distress. He was asking Lizzie about your calling on Monday, how long you stayed and where you sat, and after she told him, I'm blessed if he didn't go sit in that same chair. This romantic setting to a perfectly casual action on the part of Mr. Bodfish affected the widow visibly, but its effect on the ex-constable nearly upset the breadpan. But here, continued Mr. Neggett, with another glance at the larder, he might go on like that for years. He's a wonderful shy man, big and gentle and shy. He wanted Lizzie to ask you to tea yesterday. Now, Mr. Neggett, said the blushing widow, do be quiet. Fact replied the farmer, solemn fact, I assure you, and he asked her whether you were fond of jewelry. I met him twice on the road near here yesterday, said Mrs. Clowes suddenly. Perhaps he was waiting for you to come out. I dare say, replied the farmer. I shouldn't wonder but what he's hanging about somewhere near now, unable to tear himself away. Mr. Bodfish wrung his hands and his thoughts reverted instinctively to instances in his memory in which charges of murder had been altered by the direction of a sensible judge to manslaughter. He held his breath for next words. Mr. Neggett drank a little more ale and looked at Mrs. Driver. I wonder whether you've got a morsel of bread and cheese, he said slowly. I've come over that hungry. The widow and Mr. Bodfish rose simultaneously. It required not the brain of a trained detective to know that the cheese was in the larder. The unconscious Mrs. Driver opened the door and then with a wild scream fell back before the emerging form of Mr. Bodfish into the arms of Mrs. Klaus. The glass of Mr. Neggett smashed on the floor and the farmer himself, with every appearance of astonishment, stared at the apparition open-mouthed. Mr. Bodfish, he said at length, slowly. Mr. Bodfish, incapable of speech, glared at him ferociously. Leave him alone, said Mrs. Klaus, who was ministering to her friend. Can't you see the man's upset at frightening her? She's coming round, Mr. Bodfish. Don't be alarmed. Very good, said the farmer, who found his injured relative's gaze somewhat trying. I'll go and leave him to explain to Mrs. Driver why he was hidden in her larder. It don't seem a proper thing to me. Why, you silly man, said Mrs. Klaus gleefully as she paused at the door. That don't want any explanation. Now, Mr. Bodfish, we're giving you your chance. Mind you, make the most of it and don't be too shy. She walked excitedly up the road with the farmer and bidding him goodbye at the corner went off hastily to spread the news. Mr. Neggett walked home soberly, and hardly staying long enough to listen to his wife's account of the finding of the brooch between the chest of drawers on the wall, went off to spend the evening with a friend, and ended by making a night of it. End of section 5